Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When I was a kid, learning to ride a bike was a rite of passage. I rode for years on training wheels. Then, one day... My dad took off my training wheels, walked me and my bike to the park, and I rode on the grass for the first time on two wheels. And then, of course, I grew up. When I got to high school, bikes were seen as kids' stuff. I wanted to ride in the car with my friends and soon drive a car myself. I didn't pick up biking again until I moved to New York City. But here, bikes aren't kids' stuff. You're listening to Borders, stories about borders by the people who cross them. I'm Caitlin Pierce. I rode my bike from Brooklyn to Manhattan to do this interview. I love biking in the city. When I get on my bike, I don't have to follow paths that others have decided for me. There's free parking everywhere, and I can ride through neighborhoods without men catcalling me. At least, I'm so fast that I don't even hear them. It's free, and it's good for me, and it's good for the planet. And it's also safe, with protected bike lanes and a lot of other bikers on the road. One of the people who made New York City a safe place for bikers is Bill DiPaolo. He was one of the founders of an organization called Time's Up, and has been working with them for three decades. I know about Time's Up because of their bike co-ops. Bicyclists can go there for free, to use their tools and learn how to fix their bikes. That's where I met Bill. When I asked Bill if I could interview him, he said he didn't have time because the glaciers are melting and there's too much to do. But he agreed to talk to me while he folded calendars of Time's Up events. And, and what's the premise of the show? Because I was a little, like, borders. Like, I yeah. That. It's mainly, like, overcoming challenges and um, facing difficulties or going through changes. Okay. It's My a premise. Really? Sure, yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm an environmentalist in New York City. In 1987, members of Time's Up felt like time was running out on the environment. Something needed to be done now. We kind of put Time's Up in capitals, you know, to make it like, Time's Up, you know, like right now, do something. I was born in New York. I'm raised here. And then um, I guess I went to college. And then as soon as I get out of college, I did what everybody does. You try to take some time off and like do the right thing. And then when I went, hey, I want to join the Peace Corps, and they laughed at me like, oh, another college student want to join the Peace Corps. We don't really need you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, just leave. <laughs> and I was like, no, seriously, what do you need? And they said, you know, there's, water pro- there's problems with water, irrigation, farming. People have to walk five miles to get water. It's all dirty. Uh, we need people to know about water. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I'll... I'll learn about water and come back. And they looked at me like, yeah, right. (laughs) So I did. But Bill never ended up joining the Peace Corps. His plumbing skills were useful at home in New York City. He created systems to help save water. This is New York City. So could you imagine 30 years ago, no one really cares about the environment. So we were doing a lot of demonstrating 
uh, with Time's Up in the beginning, we'd go to like, you know, fur places and demonstrate out front. Or We were protesting in front of McDonald's because they were using the styrofoam container. We actually kind of won that campaign, but it took so long. Bill says Time's Up uses the chip away system. They chip away little by little at these huge environmental issues. They use fun and humor to make people think and come to their own conclusions. There was a Columbus Day parade, and we wanted to get into the Columbus Day parade So then I said, hey, why don't we use bikes? Because we could be in costume on bikes and we can get in so quick that the police won't stop us. And then we scouted out a way to get in and it worked perfectly. Like we were in the parade for several blocks, they kicked us out, but then we got back in because a bike moves very quickly and can kind of like operate like water, which I'm used to, and kind of can move and flow through things. It's just amazing. So from that on in, we were like just using bikes and it was perfect because bikes are environmental, bikes are great. But not everyone thought bikes were great. So some of these things that I call campaigns or sustainable designs get picked up smoothly by the city. Some of them have a lot of friction. Bicycling had a lot of friction and the city would not be interested in that at all. Um, There were thousands of arrests. There were uh, lawsuits and we hung in there. So the calendar that we're folding right now um, has probably like maybe 20 rides on it. So early on, we tried to meet with the city and we asked for like safer infrastructure. And they were like, get out of here. Just don't even think about it. So we thought like, well, what are we going to do? So our successes in other areas, and this is a very difficult thing to do, and it takes a lot of dedication, a long-term commitment, is just supply and demand like every business model we wanted to get more stuff for bikers so we had to create more bicyclists so when you interview the bicyclist like 30 years ago they thought it was crazy dangerous to ride so we do incredible amount of small group bike rides this is a perfect example because this group bike ride is auto free in central park so we're using auto free in a huge city where there's cars everywhere And people will borrow their friend's bike, and they'll have a great time riding their bike in a group in an auto-free environment, and that will build the confidence they need to then start riding on the street. People are terrified to ride their bikes. Time's Up has a lot of smaller group bike rides. Then there's a bigger ride that is not organized by Time's Up. That ride is called Critical Mass. And actually, Critical Mass isn't organized by anyone. It's one of the core definitions of a critical mass. Bicyclists know to meet at a designated place every last Friday of the month. Depending on the month and city, a critical mass ride can have any number of bicyclists. At this time of the early 2000s in New York City, theirs had about 1,000 riders. The critical mass is just a larger group bike ride that was started in California. And the guys kind of like, who kind of came up the idea a little bit about no leaders and no rules and the structure of the critical mass was kind of set in stone. So no one could take it over. Everybody knew what day it was. Everybody knew what it was about. And the major thing it did, which I don't think people realize was, every city the critical mass went to, especially cities like New York that had no biking, it increased biking. And we knew the trick. Once you increase biking, you're going to get those bike lanes or bridges open eventually because there's more people biking. The critical mass speeded up what we had already started. It wasn't easy between bicyclists and the police. Then in 2004, things got even worse. The Republican National Convention came to New York City, 
and it was the same day as the critical mass bike ride. So I'm here at the critical mass ride with thousands of other people on bikes and skates. Um, and this is something that we do as a tradition on the last Friday of every month. We meet at 7 o'clock at Union Square and we take to the streets and we ride. And we don't have a permit. It's more about taking back public space and having a good time doing it. My name is Bill DiPaolo. I work with uh, Time's Up Environmental Group. And we are using our bikes in non-polluting transportation. And we want everybody to be aware that this is a positive thing happening. And not to be looked at as a demonstration, but a positive celebration. Time's Up volunteer Benjamin Cerf was helping at the mailing when I talked to Bill. And he talked to me about the effect of the RNC on biking. Now, it was a blessing and a curse because it brought the act of riding bicycles into a, a new political um, zone. It, made you, it politicized critical mass, which wasn't necessarily the case. People just wanted to ride their bike together. The critical mass happens the last Friday of every month, you know, in every city around the world. So for the city to say that we were doing something unusual, the ride just happens that day. So it politicized the, the, the critical mass and made a big divide between the police and critical mass riders. But it's also a, a good thing because it has mobilized people. New York police made 264 arrests that night in several locations along the bike route. Cyclists said the bike ride was peaceful and the police acted unreasonably. Most of those arrested were charged with disorderly conduct. Why can't I have my bicycle back? Please, sir. Please, sir. Please, sir. Please, sir. The critical mass ride at the RNC had between five and six thousand participants. This was the height of a long period of struggle between bicyclists and the police. This went on for like five years of helicopters fighting. Then the NYPD took the fight out of the streets and into the courts. The city of New York wanted to require that Time's Up get a permit before critical mass bike rides. But Time's Up isn't in charge of critical mass rides. No one is. Well, New York City sued Time's Up Environmental Organization, a small group like us, and it was a major lawsuit. We lost a lot of volunteers right away. So they said that I wasn't allowed to promote anything without a permit because they were having a problem. When people came on the events, they were arresting the people on the event. And then the people on the event was like, what do you mean? It was advertised in Time Out magazine. Of course, they're not going to sue Time, sue Time Out magazine, so they sued us. But it was eventually thrown out... But we lost a lot of people. I mean, it's kind of crazy that they actually sued us. In the decision of the city of New York versus Time's Up from 10 years ago, the NYPD was defining the critical mass rides as a, quote, procession, parade, or race, meaning they would need a permit. The judge disagreed with the definition. Securing permits for all of the group rides of this grassroots, mostly volunteer nonprofit would make the frequency of the rides impossible. Most months have five rides listed on Time's Up's calendar. That decision was made in 2006. The next year, the NYPD changed the permit laws to require permits for any group of 50 or more. 
before the permits didn't designate a number. The police were trying to stop it, and we were kind of like trying to make it more fun because the people would come and they'd get arrested or a ticket, and so they were slowing down our increase. So you can look at the math, and we were trying to figure out how many bikes do we really need to create in this city to make biking stick. And if we can ride out the police for a couple of years, we can increase the numbers. But it was difficult because they were attacking us and doing all these things. This city is much different than any other city. There's so many police. It's over 30,000. But Time's Up trudged on, little by little, with their chip-away system. And they've seen some big changes. Yeah, I think we were riding down. I kind of remember the moment. Uh, I was at the front of the critical mass ride, which had, like, you know, probably at that time, like, 4,000 people on it and there was my email box was filled up like can critical mass come to this bar at the end could you critical mass come to this place and then we stopped at a light and we turned I think to the left and it was some kind of store that was unrelated to biking but they had a bike in the window they were like installing the bike as we were looking and I was like you see that is it now they're using the bikes to sell products we've done it It snowballed even more than we ever could imagine. Like at my, I'm super positive and I think, oh, everything's possible. But I didn't realize how bike lanes were going to snowball so quickly into auto-free plazas, into greenways, into bridge access, to people traveling here just to go on the high line, to museums, kind of like, you know, to corporate people then wanting a park because it increases their rent. Like to so many things that the bike lanes kind of made happen and direct action did, you know, so... The city is so into it now. Thank you, Bill DiPaolo, for giving me the time for this interview. And thank you for the bike lanes I rode on to get to the Museum of Reclaimed Space. Thank you also to Benjamin Surf. Critical mass bike rides are held on the last Friday of every month, and there's probably one in the city closest to you. Andy Diaz wrote our theme music. For more stories about borders, visit bordersradio.org. I'm Caitlin Pierce. Thanks for listening.